Let's hear God's word. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 29. Peter said to him, that is to Jesus, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then verse 54 But Peter followed him, that is Christ, at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And now verse 66 and following. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you were saying. And he went out on the porch. And a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by him, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Mark chapter 14. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we come to this sad, solemn portion of your word where we see the great failure of Peter, a disciple who loved the Lord, a disciple who followed the Lord, a disciple who boasted great things about himself, and yet when push came to shove, fell apart. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to take from this passage both the warning and the encouragement that we ought to take. Help us to be humble. Help us to be realistic about our own weakness, but help us also to rest, to trust, to rely on the unfailing strength of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. The Lord Jesus had told the disciples that the spirit was willing, their spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And he had encouraged them to pray so that they would not enter into temptation. The disciples did not pray. They fell asleep instead. However willing the spirit was, the flesh truly was weak. And now Jesus has been arrested and he's been taken for a preliminary hearing before the Jewish Sanhedrin. What they're doing is they are trying to figure out what charges can we make stick. They already know what they want to do. They already know that they want to have him executed. But now the question is, well, what words can we find to make that happen? While that is going on in the upper room, where apparently people are able to see and witness a little bit. It must have been a sort of a balcony-type situation. Peter is down below with the high priest's servants, warming himself in front of a fire that they have in the courtyard of the house. Now, on the one hand, we have to give Peter a certain amount of credit. As far as we know, none of the other 12 were there. Some people think that John was also there, that John was personally known to the high priest. They base that on some statements in the Gospel of John. It's possible, but I'm not convinced. 
I think in the Gospel of John, when it references a disciple who was known to the high priest, that's probably somebody different, not actually John. But that's a discussion for another time, another day. The only named disciple, the only one of the 12 disciples whom we can be sure had stuck to Christ to this degree was Peter. And as the events we've read about show, it did put him in some discomfort, potentially in some danger. He keeps getting accused of being one of Jesus' disciples at the very moment when Jesus is quote-unquote, on trial when they're trying to find the right charges that they can make stick to make sure that Jesus is killed. So on the one hand, we do need to give Peter a certain amount of credit. He followed at a distance. He stayed with the servants of the high priest. He warmed himself in front of the fire while Jesus is being lied about. But he was in the vicinity. He was close enough that people were noticing him and recognizing that he was with Jesus. But of course, what Peter did with that opportunity was not to boldly confess Christ, was not to repeat the words he'd said earlier, I will die with him. You notice that seems to have disappeared. Instead, Jesus, or Peter excuse me, denies Jesus three times. A servant girl says, you were with him. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no knowledge of this. That's possibly a legal form for denying a charge, a way to disavow any connection with it. He denied it again when it was brought up. She was sure she was not persuaded by his denial. And then when it wasn't just the servant girl, when other people also begin to notice and to say, you are one of his disciples. We can tell you're from Galilee because of your accent. He went even further. He began to curse and to swear. Now, the meaning of that is not entirely clear, but we shouldn't just think, well, he started to use bad language. That's not the point here. The point, it seems to me, the most probable interpretation of this is that when it says he began to curse, it means that he cursed Jesus. When he began to swear, it means he called God as witness that he was not a disciple of Jesus and knew nothing about him. If that sounds pretty bad, that's because it is. That's a very terrible sin to commit. I mean, denying Jesus in that sort of equivocal way, I don't know what you're talking about, that was bad enough. That was a failure to stand with Christ. But to go even further, to pronounce a curse on Jesus in whatever language he might have used, to call God to witness that he did not know Jesus, that he was not a disciple of Jesus. Well, how much lower than that can you go? How much more forcefully can you repudiate Christ? Peter sinks very far, very far here. Peter's fall is absolutely serious. It had been predicted. Jesus had said, you're going to deny me. Peter did not believe it. Peter said, if everybody else denies you, I'll die with you. I won't be stumbled. I won't be caused to fall no matter what. But how'd that turn out? And by these actions, there's a contrast in Peter himself. 
there's a contrast here with his previous confession of Christ. You remember in chapter 8, Jesus asked the disciples who people were saying that he was, and they gave him the various answers they'd heard. He said, well, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one to speak up, and Peter said, you are the Christ. A few weeks ago, months ago maybe, Peter knew exactly who Jesus was. Now he says, I don't know who he is. I know nothing about him. What a contrast. Peter did know, but he's not willing to acknowledge it. He's not willing to say it. He's not willing to stand and be counted as somebody who knows Christ. But when he says, I don't know, I don't understand, he's lying. It's not true. He did know that Jesus was the Christ. He had said it earlier. There's a sad lesson there. And the lesson is that being able to articulate the truth is not the same thing as being firmly committed to it. Now, I don't say that to take away from the importance of being able to tell the truth, of understanding, knowing what the truth is, being able to say it. We place a tremendous amount of emphasis on that in our church. That's one reason for the catechism classes. That's one reason we drag our young people through great difficulty of memorizing the Heidelberg Catechism, of being able to answer those questions word for word. That is not an easy thing to pull off. And some young people struggle with that quite a lot. They have fresh brains, so it is possible, but it's not easy. It takes a long time, and it takes a lot of hard work. Why do we do that? Because it's important to be able to articulate the truth. It's important to be able to say what is and what is not the teaching of Scripture. But Peter could articulate the truth. That wasn't the same thing as standing for it. So let me say to you who have memorized or are memorizing or will memorize the catechism at some point, as important as it is to know, to be able to recite it, that's not enough. You have to be able to stand firm on it. You have to be able to stick with it when the going gets tough, when there's reasons to deny it, when your friends are making fun of you for being forced to memorize the catechism, for instance, or when you're asked what you believe and you think you'll get laughed at if you tell the truth, or when the choices that your knowledge of the truth would tell you to make are not the choices you really want to make. In all those situations, it's not enough to be able to articulate the truth. That's important. But we see Peter could articulate the truth, and yet that didn't keep him from lying when push came to shove. He knew who Christ was, but he said he didn't. This also puts Peter in contrast to his own strong assertions earlier. Verse 29, Peter said, If all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said, oh, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Peter's self-image, Peter's view of himself is wildly unrealistic. Peter was self-confident instead of trusting in Christ. Peter relied on his own strength, his own firmness. Peter thought, I will not give way under pressure. Everybody else might. Yeah, I can see that about them. I'm not going to do that. And then he fell lower 
than the rest. He denied Christ, cursing and swearing three times over. He should have believed the word of Jesus. He should have accepted Jesus' diagnosis of the state of his heart. But we can say that to ourselves as well. So often we are self-confident. Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, that temptation has no hold on me. Well, other people might fall away. Other people, not, not me. Paul's given us the last word on that. He said, let the one who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You can fall. You are vulnerable. Temptation can get its hooks into you. Our only refuge, our only hope, our only strength is Christ. If you think, I will be firm. You need to listen to the word of Jesus. You need to accept his diagnosis of your heart, just like Peter did. As long as we're taking refuge in ourselves and the strength of our own wills and our determined resolution, we're not actually trusting Christ. Even if we say, I'll take a stand for Christ, I'll be bold. In a sense, you're denying him by the very fact of relying on yourself to make confession of him because you're not actually trusting him in that moment. You're not leaning on him. You're not finding in him your strength and your firmness. Don't expect to make it through the temptations and the trials and the troubles of life in your own strength. Peter tried that. And we see how it worked out for him. It didn't. It was a disaster. Well, we can expect the same. Now, one of the ways that Mark makes his point in this passage, as in many passages in the gospel, is by way of contrast. There's a contrast between Peter and what Peter said and did earlier. But there's also a contrast between Peter and Christ. There's the contrast in the whole scenario. Jesus is on trial up in the upper room. Peter is huddled with the servants of the high priest around a fire. But that contrast in location is just really to visually present to us, to engage our minds in thinking about the deeper contrast. Jesus tells the truth about who he is and loses his life as a result. They condemn him not on the basis of what false witnesses said about him, but on the basis of what he said about himself. Peter lies. He denies Jesus. And maybe he saves his life. Maybe he gets out of trouble. But at what a cost to himself. But there's also a contrast in terms of what you could call reliability. Peter said, if I have to die, I will not deny you. A few hours later, I don't know who that person even is. He repudiates Christ. Jesus said, you will deny me. And whose word was verified? Jesus can be trusted in a way that Peter cannot. Well, there's a lesson there. Whatever Jesus says, is reliable. Whatever Jesus says is true. We might not like it. It might go against us. It might call us to do something we don't want to do. 
It might call us to approach things, to look at things in a way that's not easy for us. It might tell us something about ourselves that we don't want to hear. But it is reliable. It is trustworthy. It is to be accepted. Whereas our words are like Peter's words. We say we'll do something, and then we don't. We talk about how great we are, and then we're not. It should show us. Don't trust yourself. But it should also show you, don't rely on other people. Here's Peter, the spokesperson of the apostles. The one who took the lead in confessing Christ. Yeah, and now he's taking the lead in denying Christ. You can't lean the weight of your soul on Peter or on Paul or on anyone else in the church. The church is built on Christ. Only Christ is a stable, is a sure foundation. So we can't rely on family. We can't rely on elders. We can't rely on ministers. We can't rely on the history and heritage of our church. We must rely on Christ. His word was verified. His word was fulfilled, even down to this little detail. Peter will deny him three times before the rooster crows twice. How did Jesus know that? He knows that. Because he is in charge of everything. He knows that. Speaking in terms of his human nature, that was revealed to him. Speaking in terms of his divine nature, he knows that because he knows all things. But that little detail was revealed to him, to his human nature, and then was made known to Peter for a reason. Put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. Surely Peter feels the contrast here. He hears the rooster crow. It registers with him that it was the second time. He sees that Christ's word was fulfilled. Well, surely Peter is going to remember that he had confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Surely Peter is going to remember with that that he told Jesus he'd never deny him. And then surely it's going to come to Peter's mind the language he just used. And the fact that he had been given three opportunities to confess Christ and he'd chickened out at each one. He'd gone further in his denials, at least that last time. He'd taken an oath that he didn't know who Christ was. How would you feel in that situation? Well, you'd feel sad for sure. But very likely, you would also feel despairing. What are you going to do now? You've denied your Lord. What hope is there for you? Perhaps Peter also remembered Jesus' words that those who confess him before men, he'd confess before his Father in heaven. But those who deny him before men, he would deny before his Father in heaven. We all have missed opportunities to confess Christ. We've all probably chickened out at one point or another. Sometimes you didn't recognize that there was an opportunity there to speak a word for Christ. 
Sometimes you were distracted or you had other priorities. Sometimes you knew there was an opportunity and you kind of had an idea of what to say, but you just didn't. You thought it would make things awkward. So you backed down. You didn't say anything. I've been there too. I've done that too. And it doesn't feel good. It's upsetting. It's disturbing. It makes you question yourself afterwards. No doubt all of that was going through Peter's mind. When he thought about it, he wept. Well, of course he did. He had many reasons to be sad. He had the weakness, the sinfulness of his own heart. He had the betrayal of Christ. He hadn't committed Christ to to go through this, but he'd failed to stand with Christ. He denied him. He cursed Christ. In that sense, he's definitely a betrayer. Of course he weeps. Well, what hope could Peter have? What comfort could there be for him at this moment? Honestly, I suspect that before the resurrection, there was not a lot of comfort for Peter. I expect that the next few days were pretty miserable for Peter. That, in a sense, was the part that he had chosen. What happiness, what comfort, what joy can there be when we repudiate and turn our backs on Christ? If that's what we choose to do, what do we expect? But there was hope for Peter. Whether he remembered it at this moment in time or not, I don't know. But there was hope. There are a couple of good signs about Peter. One is, yes, he betrayed Christ. He spoke against him. He denied him. That's true. But he was in a situation to be put on the spot like that because he was following Christ. He got himself into that situation because of a commendable attachment to Christ. Now, I don't know that this occurred to Peter's mind as a source of comfort, but it's something that we can see, we can look back on, and we can notice that however deep Peter's failings, and it was not a light matter, yet Peter was in that situation because he had been following Christ. We can also remember that all of this was happening just as Jesus had said. And what that means is that Jesus already knew that Peter would fail. Jesus already knew that Peter would deny him. And even though Peter repudiated Jesus, Jesus did not repudiate Peter. When he told him, you'll deny me three times, Jesus did not add, get out of here. I have no use for you. I never want to see you again. Instead, he still took Peter with him to the garden. He still reminded Peter that he ought to be watching and praying. In the Gospel of Luke, of course, he told Peter, when you're converted, when you're brought back, when you're turned again, strengthen your brethren, giving him hope that that would in fact happen. You see, with Peter, Jesus was able to look beyond the denial, 
beyond the failure, beyond the weakness. Jesus was able to love Peter anyway. Jesus was able to go to the cross for Peter. Jesus was able to rise for Peter's justification. Jesus was able to forgive and to restore Peter. Well, in that, we should see an image of ourselves. How have you failed the Lord? The question is not, have you? We have, yes. We all have. The question is, how have you failed the Lord? In what way? In what ways are you yet going to fail the Lord? I don't know. I hope they won't be the way Peter did for myself or for any of you. But we can't guarantee that. We can't rely on ourselves to make sure that doesn't happen. So what can we rely on? We can rely on a Christ who restores the contrite. We can rely on a Christ who already knew the worst that we would ever do and set his heart upon us anyway. We can rely on a Christ who went to the cross knowing exactly why he needed to go there, knowing for what sins, for what people, but also for what sins those people committed, he was atoning. That's what you can count on. That's what you can come back to. And when your sins and your failures rise up before you, when you're overwhelmed by the wickedness, the ingratitude, the depths of evil that are lurking in your heart, where do you turn? Do you turn and say, yeah, but a lot of times I don't act on that? Do you say, but I fight against it sometimes? Or do you say, I have a Savior who loved me anyway? Do you look to the fact that you struggle against sin? Or do you rest in a Savior who died for you all the same? Those are basically two different approaches. Now, I don't want to exaggerate. There's one more good sign about Peter. It is that his sin was a grief to him. He wasn't rejoicing and celebrating that he denied Christ and successfully got away with it. He was saddened. He wept. The other Gospels say he wept bitterly because of this. That is an important thing. If you're celebrating your sin, if you're rejoicing in your sin, if you're thinking, ha I'm getting away with it, that's not a good sign of where your heart is. But if your sin is a burden to you, if it's your sin that makes you cry, that is a good sign that however low you have fallen, however far you have gone, however deep the evil you've committed is, there's a ray of light. You don't love it. You don't embrace it. You don't want it. You wish it would have been different. Well, if there's that degree of contrition for sin, you can most certainly look to Christ. You can certainly come to him. If you don't find that degree of contrition for sin, that might be a place to begin, is to say to Jesus, help me to be sorry for my sin. Help me to be truly sorry. But if you're worried about your sin, if it rises up and it seems like it's going to prevail, Remember, Jesus already knew the words that Peter would use to repudiate him. And still, Jesus did not repudiate 
Peter. It would have been fair to do so. Jesus had said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. He could have stuck to the letter of the law with regard to that saying, and he could have denied Peter. But he didn't, because his mercy prevails. Well, none of us can say, oh no, Jesus has zero reason to deny me. That's self-righteousness, and it's unrealistic. It's not true. It's a garbage opinion. But does Jesus repudiate us when we fail? No. His mercy is greater than we dare to imagine. Amen.